0: The Guardian. Six
1: Nations Rugby with Ian Payne. Well, hello and welcome once again to the Six Nations show on Guardian.co.uk with myself, Ian Payne and a whole host of guests, a couple of them. Podcast Virgins, who we'll introduce in just a second. Well, who would have thought it? England played well in the second half. Incredible. Uh, Ireland turned it on for more than ten minutes. Uh, What's more, France threatened to look decidedly ordinary. Could it be that their new coach, Livremont is slightly cocksure in his selections? Elsewhere, the uh, Gatland-Edwards chariot rumbles on. The dream of a Welsh Grand Slam seems to be alive and well. And Scotland, they scored a try. Uh, on today's show, as I say, a couple of people who haven't done this before, uh, but another man who definitely has. First up, a man who spent yesterday sunning himself in Dublin, but rushed across the Irish Sea just to be with us. He's the Guardian rugby writer Ian Malin. Hello Ian. How are you? Not Very well, thank How you. How was Croke Park? Um, I thought it was a good
2: game, actually, and um, Scotland, um, although you wouldn't think so from the, from the scoreline, um, played some good rugby. I thought the result didn't flatter them. Ireland at last shook off the Shackles that World Cup, the, the hangovers over and the. Good, we'll we good, talk, good,
1: we good we talk more about them in a minute. Uh, mm. Next, uh, another Six Nations show fresher who's been uh, rubbing in the deep heat all day in preparation Guardian sports writer Martin Pengeli. Martin, good afternoon, good evening. Good, good evening. Right, uh, you've seen all the three games this yep, uh, that, which, which was the best?
3: Uh, I paid most attention to England France, so I think it probably was the best game. Okay.
1: And uh, we'll also be speaking to uh, Sean Edwards later on, don't miss that former England fly-half Paul Grayson will join us in just a second. But before that, let me introduce the Guardian's rugby correspondent, Rob Kitson, who... uh, Which games have you seen this weekend, Rob?
4: Well, to be honest, I've been in Paris, which was uh, kept most of my attention. Um, Amazing game, actually, in many ways. Why? Well, I just thought it was a fantastic contrast. You you wouldn't see a bigger contrast in styles, really. Uh, (laughs) It was England, um, fantastic defence, France... You almost couldn't believe some of the stuff they were doing. I mean, it was ambitious, but it, obviously we know uh, how far it got them. It was a, but it was a fantastic contrast.
1: OK. Um, size of relief then in the England camp as the team put on a fairly focused, intelligent display for the full 80 minutes this time against the French. And just like in the World Cup, they won in Paris. Let's get an insider's view, or at least someone who knows exactly what he's talking about. Paul Grayson played 32 times for England. He's a former England fly half. Delighted to say he joins us on the phone. Good evening, Paul. What did you make of England's performance against France? Well,
0: there's two sides to it for me. I think England desperately needed a good performance, and there's nothing like uh, backs to the wall stuff for an Englishman to perform. But I thought the French played into their hands to a certain extent. I thought Levermont was cavalier with his selections, and certainly the way they played the game. They played so much rugby in their own half against a team who were very, very determined to defend well. Handed it to them on a platter.
1: What do you think the French should have done?
0: I don't know how many changes that is now over three games, but it's getting on for a dozen, perhaps. And it, it's difficult. It's the Six Nations. you know. Everybody wants to win. I'm all for experimenting and blooding young players, but not at the expense of, of victories. And, and, and how long will he be able to go on picking sides if the results don't keep coming for him? So as far as England are concerned, brilliant for them. And it was a good old English performance. We battered them in the front five. Wilco we'll racked up some points and we took our chances when they came.
1: Do you think England are now or should be taken seriously as as challengers for the Six Nations title?
0: It's a difficult one really because the form hasn't suggested that in the previous two games and yet they put France to bed comfortably in the end, uh, albeit it was a very exciting evening. they were The dominance they showed up front and they closed out the game under their own steam. I guess if it goes down to the last week, then, yeah, of course
1: they're in it. Uh, Rob Kitson, um, Paul Grayson is saying there that he felt the French played into the English hands. Do you think he, they did? Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> couldn't have done more so. I mean, there were
4: moments, beautiful, you know, lovely passing, as I say, as he says, in their own 22. But it was it, it was in the wrong part of the field. And England's defence, I mean, we have to say, defensively, they were, they were superb. Um, wide out as well. They knew where the threat was going to come defended it very well also quite clever trying to get out of their own 22 they didn't hoof it off first phase they, they, they thought about it a bit more and i think that was one of the other encouraging uh, aspects as well as obviously the forward play uh, the scrummaging that uh, was obviously perhaps the most obvious, obvious area of strength
1: martin pengelly what do you mm. think is going through livre Roman's mind with all these changes
3: um i think well mark regan's going through his mind mostly today but <laughs> i think uh in general he's um so I think Thomas Castaneda is saying in uh, the paper, he's thinking for the future, thinking for the four-year cycle to the World Cup, that winning this Six Nations doesn't necessarily matter. And I'm not sure, really, whether he's, that's wrong. I think, having picked uh, Picamol, uh, Morgan Para and tranduc he, he's done quite well there, because two of those, uh, Picamol and Para, had very, very strong games, I thought.
1: Mm. Ian Malin, what did you make of uh, England's performance and the way that the French played against England as well? Well, I thought it was an intelligent performance by England,
2: Um it seems odd, though, that England, England only really pulled it out when their backs are really against the wall. It, it, was, a, it was a typical sort of bloody-minded
3: English, English performance. I was impressed and ple- pleased to. with it. I was saying earlier today that Sean Fitzpatrick came out in the press last week and said, so look, at the end of the day, all that matters is if, is if you win. England, mm. England won. That's it. They yeah. won, they had to win, they won. It doesn't matter if they're back to against the wall, how they won, whatever, they won.
2: But but why could they not have played like this in, in Rome or, or, or against Wales? It's slightly... You know, they very sort of tepid performances. Why is it, as in the World Cup against Australia, England, only when they're desperate can they give this sort of bloody-minded kind of stroppy performance. That's they? what well, they are, they're they? bloody-minded
1: <laughs> and stroppy. That's <laughs> the problem with them. That's a point for the sports psychologist. Well, yes, yes. point for the let, let's, are, let's ask someone who's played at that level. Paul, why do you think it is that when their backs are against the wall and they need to win a game, they do?
0: It's tough, really, isn't it? Because you would think that bloody-mindedness and being obstinate was a sort of prerequisite for playing for England. It certainly <laughs> sort of developed over a period with the furrow brow of Martin Johnson at the helm. Uh, A team never took the field without the absolute aim of giving the opposition bugger all, effectively, Mm. and and that's what England need to develop as, you know, you cross the whitewash, that's the absolute bare minimum that's expected, and then if the rugby becomes pretty and free-flowing as a result of that, then all well and good. But for me, England's best team and the World Championship winning team was built on Resilience of not going to lose games, no matter how we win it, we will win it. And if it looks great, then so be it.
1: And what about that great man in your position, Johnny Wilkinson? I've got um, a blog here, or at least someone has posted a blog to us. He said uh, all those who hate England might be interested here that the French commentators on French television, which he was obviously watching, thought England gave France a lesson, and that Johnny Wilkinson has divine status. Do you think Paul? <laughs> sometimes we actually I'm... under underplay the significance of Johnny Wilkinson because there's even been criticism of him. And People talking about dropping him for Cipriani.
0: Well, we, we're we're talking about Wilco's time to come and, and to move him on and Dan Carter's talking about Wilco being his idol. So mm. there are definitely differing views. As far, he hasn't played a huge amount of rugby up until the World Cup, let's not forget. But it, in a team going forward, in a team that gives him decent ball, in a team that allows um, him and others to apply pressure and therefore create scoring opportunities through the hand, but more importantly for Wilco, through the boot, he will accumulate points for you. The biggest thing for me was his tactical kicking was better. Yeah, uh, but but you get more time when you've got a practice going forward.
1: Okay, well that, that's the, those are the positive points. There are still negative points. A lot of the people posting have said there are certain things and certain players that they believe are not quite up to the task yet. Let's go around everybody and, and see whether they uh, agree with them. Um, Paul Grace, and I know it's, it's a bit invidious to ask you a question about criticising England players, but uh, do you think there are weak links anywhere in the England team at the moment?
0: I certainly think there are selection headaches where you've got a number of people who you could put into positions. I suppose Ian Bolshaw comes up first because Bolshaw has that ability to do something absolutely fantastic, but when he makes a mistake, he makes a big one. Um, and full-back, I suppose, it's like goalkeeper in football. If you make a mistake, everybody sees it. It's not hidden in the in the middle of a rook. And, and he's had a couple of high-profile ones. So there is a case for putting Tate back in. There is a case for playing Cipriani at full-back. I certainly think both of those those young lads can do a job for England in that
4: position.
1: Rob Kitson what do you think about the great Ian Balshaw debate do you think he deserves his place in the team or not?
4: Well as as Paul rightly says it is uh, sometimes easy to pick on the errors and and not not always a good place I think he's uh, to be fair he hasn't had his best two games the last couple of games I'd be interested to hear Paul's view on, on the guy he got at Northampton Chris Ashton who's the latest sort of guy from rugby league he's been scoring tries I know it's a, a, a rung down, but how, how he's shaping up? I mean, he he would be one. Josh Lucy obviously is the other name, uh, uh, as well as Cipriani. I mean, Cipriani. I, d- I think going back to to, to Johnny also, uh, it wasn't so much I think people criticising Johnny as this the desire to get Cipriani, who's clearly a talented bloke, into Test rugby. Now, Paul, uh, I remember speaking to him about this years ago. It's very difficult to come into a, as a fly half to come off the bench and change the course of a match after about an hour, and I think that's the desire is to is to allow Cipriani or players of that talent the, the chance when it's appropriate, you know, rather than coming off the bench for 20 minutes. I don't know what Paul uh, thinks about either of those two things, Chris Ashton and uh, and the difficulty of changing a game.
0: Yeah, I think so, particularly with a young man to come on in that in that position. You, you generally pick your half backs to play the game through. You know, there are not many. Um, it's not like Rugby League where they used to bring Justin Harris from fullback to stand off when players are tired at the end of the game. It might come into union, I don't know, but it'd be great to put Cipriani into a team that's got used to winning. fly half and a team that's playing well as opposed to a team that's desperate for results because that just heaps more pressure and as we saw with Tate if you play in a team and have a bad experience early in your career it can hold you back Uh, and as far as Chris Ashton is concerned he's still learning the game of rugby union he has a fantastic ability to be uh, where the ball is when there's a chance of a try without a shadow of a doubt he's got the ability to go on and play for England terrific
1: Paul thank you very much for your time and uh, thanks for talking to us Pleasure. That's uh, Paul Grayson the former England fly half who played over 30 times for uh, England so let's just round up the England-France discussion with a couple more uh, people who have posted on our blog site. This is from Midland Bob who says, given England couldn't play good rugby for most, more than 40 minutes in their previous two matches, hadn't beaten France in Paris in the Six Nations since 2000, I'll take a good performance that overcame the French up front and prevented their backs from doing much with the ball. Of course we'd like to see more improvement, but don't forget where England have come from. So I suppose, Ian Malin, it's a win is a win is a win, is exactly what uh, Martin was saying.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, people who um, say that we're, you know, must in young players and blood them and bill for the next World Cup are speaking rubbish uh, after England lost so badly against Wales at Twickenham a lot of angry people in that stadium I think England supporters would be satisfied with a 3-0 win if it's, if it's a win I absolutely
3: so, so just a, lot a lot. quick point about it 's not about putting youngsters in well, mm. youngsters are coming in anyway mm. it 's not about a whole draft of youngsters no, no, even no. france haven 't done a whole draft no, of youngsters. No. I mean if no. you look at the three people in their in their side mm. I mean Tom Croft, sixty minutes, some kind of debut that, and he came through it very well mm. as far as, well, as far as I remember, they make debutants uh, drink pints of gin and tonic on the coach afterwards. So.
1: Yes, and they have to sing a song as well, so Wigglesworth, yeah. I don't know what he... I mean, he was at a sensational game, didn't he? As it's usually well. mm, it it,
3: Wonderwall, I think. What? It seems to be Wonderwall most of the time. <laughs> Wonderwall,
1: though. is it? OK. Just uh, Rob Kitson, just a final point on England before we uh, move on. Do you think we'll ever see a great England side that is able to throw the ball around willy-nilly and score tries in the backs rather than this forward-based power structured type of game that we seem to have been successful with for many many years is is that the only way england can win
4: Uh, no i I mean the the ideal of course is both isn't it that's what everybody's aspiring to is that balance um, between the forward power that you talk about and the sort of backline invention that that france are trying to get back to now (laughs) i think there's two things here i think i think funnily enough ashton knows that there are an awful lot of good young backs out there He, he knows that they're just that little bit far away six months away perhaps but you know, if he can graft that on to a proper forward platform, then then fantastic. Now, I mean, you know, we, we talk about somebody like Mark Regan as, as thirty six, you know, past it, and all the rest of it, and you know, he he's uh, you can measure his test career perhaps in maybe a couple of games. You know, it might might be measured in measured in minutes possibly, and yet he's he he played a very important part just in establishing the, establishing the foundation upon which England can build something. Uh, possibly
1: quite exciting. Uh, you're listening to the uh, Guardian Six Nations Show podcast with myself, Ian Payne, the guest in the studio, are Ian Malin, the Guardian rugby writer, Guardian sports writer Martin Pengelly and Rob Kitson the Guardian rugby correspondent joins us on the phone. And uh, I'm delighted to say we're also joined by a man who's had a significant influence on uh, the Six Nations Championship so far and a double winning weekend for him. He's a coach of Wasps, but uh, he's also now a coach of Wales with Warren Gatland, and that's Sean Edwards. How are you, Sean? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, what a weekend for you.
5: Yes, it was a very exciting weekend, rugby-wise, and um, obviously Wasp won a very, very close encounter, and uh, you know, the win with Wales was quite emphatic in the end.
1: Yeah, the, the Welsh win, obviously people trying not to get carried away. I've got a couple of people here who, this is a a post, a blog uh, on Wales from Casuan who says, for the record the Welsh public are not screaming grand slam, no matter what the London based journos feed you, which is all you lot over there (laughs) sitting in the corner. Not guilty. Yeah, London based journos. (laughs) I think you'll find most Welsh fans are level headed about the whole thing and identified the Irish French games as the potential hiccups following the England game. Um, Is it a case of trying to keep people's feet on the ground, Sean, or are people very level headed about what Wales have done so far?
5: Well, the only people I can have any control over are the players and myself. And we're certainly not going over to Ireland to lose, I can put it that way. So if that means we're going to out there trying to win the game, obviously we're trying to do that. Having said that, you know, I think at the start of the competition, if someone has said Wales will finish third. You know, the majority of the Welsh public and I'm sure the people who control Wales will be will have taken that with both hands.
1: Without giving too many secrets away, why do you think that yourself and Warren Gatland have shown and helped Wales to be given such a marked improvement? Well,
5: I think obviously we've got talented players to work with. And that's first and foremost. I think there's already a lot of the conditioning side of things has been very, very good. I mean, even if you look at the World Cup, Wales were finish, often finishing games very strongly. It was just the middle part of the games where they were losing the way a little bit. So it's been a big help having you know, fit, well-conditioned athletes to work with. And then you know, also the fact that we've had a pretty injury-free run so far has helped without a shadow of a doubt.
1: Rob Kitson, without embarrassing Sean, how much influence do you think he has had on this Welsh team?
4: Well, I, I wouldn't want to embarrass him, but I have to say that from this distance, him and Warren have had, a, had an absolute blinder. And uh, uh, you know, I, I hope he's enjoying it. I just, I'd, I'd love to ask him how he's juggling all these balls. I mean, I, I see wasps are, are up at Newcastle on Friday night. That's a very quick turnaround. Uh, I hope he's bearing up under all the strain.
5: Yes, I'm fine. Um, you know, fit it in well. With I in fact, I believe it or not, I've only missed two, uh, one Wasp training session since I went to Wales. I think I've missed two Wales sessions because I was at Wasp and so it's fitting in very, very well. I think last weekend was the only game that I'm going to miss at Wasp. Well, should I say I did miss and that was because Wasp changed again from Sunday to Saturday because we had such a short turnaround to the Newcastle game.
1: Can you give us a, a little insight into the the mind of Warren Gatlin? What makes him such a good coach, Sean? Um,
5: he's very competitive, obviously. He also gives his understudies room to work. He is not overpowering. You know, he also puts a lot of his trust in his conditioning staff. He, he realised that games are a one on tactics, but also one on physical conditioning as well, which is just as important, if not at certain times more important than tactics. So. He certainly gives the fitness guys a lot of time to work with the players and uh, that's
1: what's been usually beneficial over the years for him. Who says what at half-time? We had uh, Fraser Waters of Wasps on last week and he mentioned that uh, you can be a very caring person but also you can give the old hair dryer treatment to people in the dressing room. Uh, who says what? Does Warren say something? Do you say something? Is it soft cop, hard cop? What is it?
5: No, well, I speak about the defence normally and if I've got any tips you know, for the half-backs or anything like that I would speak to them on their own. I think it's like in any walk of life, if you only have one approach, after a while people get sick of it. So it's important that sometimes you're quite stern, and other times you know you're a little bit more curing and in that way that the players know that in both ways the fact even when you're stern that you're actually caring for the players because you want to make them better and often you know the way to make someone better is maybe every and again for a little bit of a harsh word
1: Yeah I saw you I think I was able to, to, to uh, lip read you when Shane Williams crossed the line I think he was saying something <laughs> like what a player what a player I mean the guy's sensational when he gets some space isn't he Well I
5: mean people talk about rugby being a big man's game and there's no doubt it doesn't do any harm being big but I think when you see a small player like Excelling at a game like rugby I think it's to be marvelled at because obviously he's quite a small guy but he has such searing speed on anticipation of the break and I've always admired him but now I can uh, speak loudly about it because I'm on the same team as him
3: Martin Pengelly well I wanted to um, actually ask Sean it links into the Shane Williams question and the half time talk question about the role and the leadership provided by a very big player Ryan Jones and I'm not sure many people would have seen him coming as a captain, but he seems to have uh, really taken it in his stride.
5: Yeah, he's done well. He's, he's quite a rookie captain, as you say. Uh, there's been a lot of different Welsh captains over the recent years, and uh, I think Warren saw in, in Ryan the potential going forward. He, he could be captain for a number of years. and that, um, You've got to remember, you know, he only came back after a very, very long-term injury around about Christmas Christmastime. Yeah. So, uh, it's, it's been quite beneficial for him, actually, that we've only been playing every two weeks because it's given time
3: to get in the gym and get the conditioning side of things done. Did, did, uh, sorry, I was just going to ask if Gavin Henson had forgiven him for being voted Wales' sexiest man a couple of years ago, ahead of Gavin. Oh,
1: I've no idea about anything like that. No, sure, no, no, sure no, sure sure i don't ask a like that. It's
3: not actually, it. a that's not no specialist
1: <laughs> subject, is it, Sean? <laughs> um, did the players and yourself did you really believe you could win at Twickenham? I suppose you have to, don't you, when you go into a game like that? Um.
5: Of course, you've got to have a belief. You believe that if you execute in certain areas that things will definitely happen. I, I've always had that thing, both as a player and as a coach. I think at half-time, what was said was the fact that we hadn't played at all in the first half against England. We hadn't even tested and we hadn't worked any patterns which we worked out in training because we kicked the ball away too much. And what I find with the Welsh guys is that they're very, very committed lads. And you know, if you tell them to do something, they'll actually do it to the letter of the law. So... We mentioned a little bit, you know, in the build-up to the England game, you we know, we might have to play a bit of a territorial game and a bit of a kicking game, and unfortunately, we seem to kick everything in the first half. <laughs> so we've been worried recently of not giving two specific instructions because there's no doubt they do carry them out.
1: Yeah, well, you, you've played them now and you've beaten them, so you can tell us all the secrets. What are there any weak points that you particularly looked at at the England team and thought, right, we can we can? No,
5: I think on. it's more of a matter of what you look at your own team and seeing what are the strengths of your own team and trying to. Incorporate such tactics, you know what I mean? There's no doubt that England are a superb set piece team, and so obviously you
1: try trying not to have so many set pieces against them. What did you think of their performance against France? Did you manage to see that game? I at thought
5: all? it was superb, and you know, it just showed the character of England pl- English players. It showed that in the World Cup, in the big occasion, when the pressure's on, there's no one better. That's been proven, you know, the last four since the turn of the century. You know, when it comes to World Cups, who's the most successful team? It's England.
1: Do you think that the uh, Irish and the French games will actually be your hardest?
5: Um, well, there's no doubt that um, it's good to go over to Ireland is, um, is a huge challenge. I'm not sure what the Welsh record's like over there, but I know that you know, the, the Irish team are gathering momentum, they're getting the confidence back after the World Cup, and uh, we, we know we'll go into that game as underdogs. Do and, you think you uh, will
1: be underdogs?
5: Um, I think we possibly would, yeah, away, away from home at Crow Park, yeah. I mean, you, you think back to the performance they put in against England this time last year. It was, you know, Everyone was saying they're the possible future world champions. And I think they're coming back to that kind of form now. So it's, we're certainly approaching it in the game in a very meticulous manner because we know that players like Roland O'Gara, Brian O'Driscoll and the forwards that they have are, are superb.
1: And uh, just a, a final point, Sean, what do you make of the French...
5: Well, you know, everyone talks about playing attacking rugby and, it, it, you know, there's no doubt it is it's, it's, There's no one likes attacking rugby more than me even though I'm a defensive coach you know, as a player I like to attack with the ball in hand but I think it just showed that certain times you have to have game management and uh, there was almost kamikaze in their approach wasn't there, the, the, the French, in, in, in that game and uh, whilst it's admirable in one way obviously England I think Mike Ford uh, must have done a great job with England defence because they were certainly pressuring them in their own 22 and they got a couple of turnovers for trials. Yeah.
1: well anyway congratulations you're doing a terrific job and uh, maybe one day the England phone will ring
5: oh well, that's not for me to say You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know England have got very astute coaches in place already and uh, there's no doubt that I'll, I probably wouldn't have gone to Wales if Warren and have been there
1: would you like to coach, um, help coach the
5: Lions yes I, th- I think that was one of the main reasons to be honest that I wanted to be involved in the International Rugby Union, was to put my name forward for Lions. I didn't go on the last Lions tour because, I, well, you know, the excuse I could have in my head was that I wasn't coaching international rugby. So if I don't go this time, you know, I think it'll be purely because I'm not good enough and I can accept that, but it's difficult to accept when you've not been involved in international rugby, not going on the Lions tour. So, you know, if I'm not selected because I'm not good enough, I can accept that, and I can live with that.
1: Well, if you carry on doing what Wales are doing at the moment, I can't see any way in which they, they won't pick you. Sean, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Six Nations Roughly from Guardian.co.uk So we've talked about uh, Wales beating Italy by 47 points to eight. We've talked about England's game against France. Let's talk about Ireland against Scotland. Now, Ian Malin, you were there. Mm-hmm comfortable victory or not 34-30
2: It it was was ultimately a comfortable victory for uh, Ireland I was impressed with Ireland and then Croke Park on Saturday night there were smiles on the faces of Irish players for the first time for a long long time the World Cup was a disaster for Ireland and uh, the hangovers lasted four or five months, Uh, Eddie O'Sullivan's coming for lots of criticism, a lot of it uh, merited I think, Um, but It all sort of clicked in the second half for Ireland, partly through a couple of happy accidents. Uh, One one thing, uh, Jordan Murphy, who is well-known, has had a slightly frosty relationship with O'Sullivan, was restored to the side on Friday... Morning. He had, uh, He was made man of the match I'm, yesterday. It, he was playing in his normal fullback, and he was a revelation.
1: Rob, you wanted but, to say something? Well, i was just. I'm mm. just
4: saying. You, you can tell Ireland are going to play better just looking at the team sheet. It's got a much better balance. Yes. It, hasn't it? Yes. I yes. mean, I, I think I. I don't know how serious the Driscoll's injury is, but uh, if he can't play in the next match, I mean Trimble, number thirteen. That's where he plays. He mm. slipped. Mm. Top player. Really mm-hmm. good young player. Yeah, uh, you know, they've, got, terrific, they've got yeah. Redden in there. You know, they, they just look a better team on paper. They've got Murphy, as you mm-hmm. rightly say. I'm so glad he was uh, man of the match because he's a, he's a fantastic player and he's a top bloke and he deserves mm-hmm. a bit of success.
1: How do you think uh, Rob Ireland will get on against Wales? That's the next match uh, on the 8th of March at mm-hmm. Croke Park. Um, Sean Edwards was saying he feels Wales will be the underdogs. Well, I think
4: he might be right. You know, I don't think that's even, I'm not sure, you know, Sean doesn't, involve in, uh, doesn't get involved in too much kidology, to be honest. He, he's a pretty straight guy and I think he's about right. Croke Park, Ian was there, he'll tell you it's, it's a fantastic stadium, mm. it really is mm. and I, I think a little bit of self-belief, obviously Ireland have been missing but even when they, they lost to France there it was only a last minute try that did them, they pulverised England last season, mm. they've, got, they've got a pretty good record there and uh, it'll be up front as, as ever, That's if Wales have a floor, it's, it's up front, it's that platform that Ireland might be able to disrupt and I think it'll be a hell of a game.
1: Martin, this championship is, this because of this weekend has suddenly opened up, hasn't it? Yeah. There's about three or four countries that could win it now. What do you think? Who do I think will win it?
3: Yeah. Um, I would go at the moment for Ireland. Because? It's funny, not necessarily because I think they're particularly great, but they've got Wales at Croke Park. I would pick them for that one, with the way they started uh, playing again. They've actually and probably got a better so record in Cardiff, haven't they? think I mean, they're going to win at Twickenham, are they? I think they might, yeah, I do. Um, I just... I had a hunch that England would win in Paris and I have a hunch they will probably find it difficult against Ireland. Ireland have got a mix when they're playing properly. They seem to have a mix of decent forward play and very, very, very good back play, which France couldn't put together. Mm. France had put that together, but fronted up a bit more in the forwards... England would have had more problems. Really uh, ironic,
4: ironically, though, you might not write off France, might you? They've got Italy, no. Italy next up. They could just score a hatful. It's going to be decided on points difference. And, mm. and you could see them, you know, when they, when they were good, they were, they were very good uh, in, in short spells, admittedly, against England. And, and you could see coming to Cardiff, the pressure's all going to be on Wales. I mean, that would be a, a, a top game as well. I'm,
3: yeah. I'm just curious about the Irish after their World Cup review where the management consultants blamed collective failure. Mm. took their fee and disappeared, and then suddenly Ireland have started playing properly after that. <laughs> which, something's, um,
1: <laughs> something's happened. It's yeah. uh, Ireland <laughs> against Wales, as you say, Scotland against England. Before I just ask you about Scotland and England, this is, uh, we've had somebody who's posted on the blog site on Scotland. This is Rocco Le Jocco, who just says, What a great weekend's rugby. You thought Scotland were good too. We managed 15 men on the pitch, roughly facing the same direction, <laughs> wearing just about the same colour jerseys and with their socks pulled up. That's a start, at least. I think Rocco. I think
2: Rocco's being a little bit. I think Rocco, Not that bad. <laughs> <are they? laughs> Rocco needs, needs to give
3: thanks for Alasdair death. Yeah, Anna's
2: I think. <laughs> I think uh, the, there are there were some um, good reasons for Frank hadn't to be cheerful. On Saturday, not not many, but what one it was, was two. The, one was the performance of Chris Patterson at fly half. I thought he he, <laughs> he, he, sure. he wasn't great, Ooh. but he, he he should be Scotland's fly half. Now at the beginning that? at the yeah. beginning of those Six Nations, Frank Haddon was backing Dan Park. He he got quite cross every time anyone hinted that Patterson should be fly half. Always a sign that he's, he's but, undecided. But he's hmm. swallowed his pride. He's put Patterson back, and I think it, he should be there. It works to a because uh, Scotland play a, a sort of flatter game, and he <laughs> should be there. And the other good thing was that. Strocosh who's having a terrific season for Gloucester stepped up he was probably their best forward. Jason White will be back to face England. So I think there is hope for the Scots but um wooden spoon?
1: <laughs> no, I no? think
3: uh, I think Italy will you? take the wooden spoon. I, I can see I can see Italy doing a job on Scotland. Can you? It's in yeah, it's uh, in Rome. If, yeah. I wouldn't wouldn't well I don't I wouldn't think it's going too far to say that if uh, Patterson's at 10 that will probably help Italy. Okay.
1: Uh just well, to, Controversial. Just a quick word <laughs> from all of you about uh, the next fixtures in two weekends' time. Ireland against Wales is the 1.15 kickoff. Scotland against England is the 3.15 kickoff. And then on the Sunday, the 9th of March, is France against Italy. Uh, give me three winners, Ian, out of those. Uh, I
2: think Ireland, England, and
3: France. What do you reckon? This time I have to agree
1: with Ian, Ireland, England, France. Definitely. Good boy. Uh,
4: Rob? Oh, well, I think uh, we, we can't go against Sean Edwards, can we? He's one, he's one of ours, so I'm going to go one-point win for Wales because um, you never know. Uh, I am going to go ooh, England, but uh, with a bit of a wobble, and I'll go France by
1: a lot. Your tips have been quite bad, haven't they? Mine? <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you what, I, tell you
4: what, I, I, I would like uh, to get the uh, guy's opinion in the, uh, on one other thing. It's
3: Scotland v England at Murrayfield. Who will have the worst kit? Scotland by a street. it's England is pretty awful, but Scotland's is unbelievably
2: bad. Well, I, 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 I'm, I, I quite like the England you Do a, you? Only, only person,
3: uh, You've always, always been a bit of a style guru. Yeah,
2: uh, th- absolutely, but, uh, but mm. Scotland's is definitely more hideous. The,
1: the thing I want to ask is, it's not necessarily about the strips, but is anyone else scared by Sean Edwards? I am. I'm very intimidated even just talking to him.
3: I, I spent... <laughs> A long time when I was younger, watching Leeds rugby league and sh- standing in the south stand shouting abuse at him. Right. Which shows that we were scared of him. Yeah. But that's because he was so how, good. How many rows back were you? A lot, a long way back in. The well,
2: would he recognise you? So much?
3: If you uh, I'm hoping not.
1: So. He's never going to be a stand-up comedian, but he does it <laughs> does fill me with fear whenever <laughs> I talk to him. But he's but he's a lovely bloke when you meet him. Yes, <laughs> he is. He is. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. Rob, thank you very much indeed. No um, enjoy your uh, you do, and do you get a week and a half off or not? No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> Remorseless, 24 hours. Uh, (laughs) Listen all these London journos laughing away here. (laughs) Listen, boys, thank you very much indeed to uh, all of our guests today, to uh, Rob Kitson, to Martin Pengelly and to Ian Malin from uh, The Guardian and also to Sean Edwards and we also heard from Paul Grayson earlier in the programme. If you want to get in touch with us and post a blog, you can do so, blogs.guardian.co.uk forward slash sport and you can get in touch with us and tell us exactly what you think Uh, that's all we've got time for on today's six nations show with guardian.co.uk we'll be back to preview weekend number four when scotland play host to england and italy take on france and then the big one wales traveling to Croke park to face ireland until then thanks for listening goodbye six nations rugby from guardian.co.uk